This week's episode is sponsored by Jagged Edge Productions and ITN Studios' Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2. Only in theaters, March 26th to March 28th. The suspenseful and thrilling sequel to last year's immense hit, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, amplifies the gore factor with ten times the number of kills to put fans both new and old at the edge of their seats. After Christopher Robin reveals their existence, Winnie the Pooh, Piglet, Tigger, and Owl land on the endangered species list as hard targets. Unwilling to hide in the shadows, the ultimate scream team embarks on a murderous rampage through the town of Ashdown to get their revenge on Christopher Robin, once and for all. So don't miss out, and mark your calendars to catch the limited engagement of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2, only in theaters March 26th to March 28th. Tickets are available now. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. I don't want to scare anyone. But I'm going to give it to you straight about Jason. His body was never recovered from the lake after he drowned. And if you listen to the old timers in town, they'll tell you he's still out there. Some sort of demented creature. Surviving in the wilderness. Full grown by now. Some folks claim they've even seen him. Right in this area. From the cold, chilly cabins of Camp Crystal Lake to outer space. We are Halloweenies! Greetings and welcome to Halloweenies, a Jason Voorhees podcast presented by the Consequence Podcast Network. I'm one of your co-hosts, Michael Myers Rothman, and today I have one hell of a treat for you lucky campers quarantining out in Camp Crystal Lake. I'm speaking with a true master of horror. You know him as the Sultan Splatter, the maestro of makeup, the godfather of gore. He's responsible for some of the greatest effects in the history of Hollywood. He's turned all of your nightmares into reality. He made a monster out of Jason Voorhees. Yes, I'm talking to the legendary sex machine himself, Tom Savini. This weekend, Savini will be joining another horror luminary when he guests on Shudder's The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs. What movie will they screen? Eh, you're going to have to find out when it airs on Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But the good news is you can hear him right now. Yes, we have a full hour with the one and only movie maniac, and it's a good one. As you'll hear ahead, Savini is quite a cerebral personality, as our discussion went way beyond any Hollywood set or production. We talked intensely about dreams, reincarnation, and all sorts of existential anxieties that inform our art and creation. But we also talked about life in quarantine, the real-life horrors of today, and why we're seeing the dawn of the brain dead. Don't worry, we also talked about his never-ending legacy, particularly his time down at Camp Crystal Lake. So sit back, relax, and let Savini's soothing voice be the ASMR session your mind so desperately needs right now. I'll see you on the other side. Hello, Michael. Hi. Did I meet you in Dallas? I actually met, I met you uh, down in Atlanta for when we were on the set for Creepshow. You had just uh, started piecing okay. together the, uh, the big monster on the beach. It was uh, 
quite an experience. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Yeah, he was he was lying there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen the episode? Oh, totally. I thought the miniature work was extraordinary, I thought. Yeah, it was wild seeing the set on screen, just knowing that, you know, kind of what the conception was ahead of time. How are you doing right now? I mean, how are you keeping yourself entertained in quarantine? Oh, I'm enjoying the hell out of this. <laughs> you know, the one thing the lockdown has taught me is that I probably will never say again... When I have time, I'll do this or I'll do that. It taught me you make time for what you want. You know, I painted the bathroom. I rearranged all my monsters. I'm sculpting. No one's, I, I don't think, I, I've never seen anybody sculpt Vincent Price in his makeup from the House of Wax. So I'm doing that. And uh, Nice. <laughs> so p- putting clay around, you know, it's the Frankenstein syndrome. It's, this didn't exist before. I'm giving it life, you know, so... That's always a great feeling. The same thing with the Creepshow episode. It didn't exist. We gave it life. It was a collaboration. And there it is, you know, yeah. this piece of art for everyone to look at, you know. Yeah. But mainly it's for yourself. Oh, totally. It's a great time right now to actually literally get every project done. That's what I'm trying to do myself in, in quarantine. But you're right. I look back to all the things I was doing in the week ahead of time before everything kind of locked down. And it's just so many regrets are just yeah. like, oh, shit, why didn't I do that? <laughs> like, why didn't I go see the movie in theaters when I should have um, at the time? Next year, you'll miss this, yeah. this lockdown, this time. Next year, you'll be talking to somebody, and you'll instinctively step back like six feet, and they'll go, what are you doing? Oh, it's just, you know, force of habit. I, I keep wondering what it's going to look like in hindsight. Just being in the moment. It's oh, just... it shouldn't be normal. Mm-hmm. It's it's not. We shouldn't go back to normal because then we haven't learned anything from this, you know. So yeah. Well, I mean, your experience. I mean, you you've lived in Vietnam. You've seen real life horrors. You're responsible for bringing some of the most iconic plagues on screen. <laughs> so, does this scare you? Like, does the pandemic uh, get under your skin a little bit right now? Well, you know, I'm 73. I've never seen anything like this. You know, you, I walk out my front door and. Uh, Half a block away is Main Street, and Friday night, nothing. Yeah. You know, all dark. That's like something out of a... That's 28 days later. You know, mm-hmm. that's, you know that's, a, that's a sci-fi movie right there. So, But, you know, it's like I tell my wife all the time when there's a problem or something. You know what? This is a temporary situation. Yeah. Torture is... If I pound on your foot with a hammer, but you know I'm going to stop in three seconds, then it's not torture. You can deal with that, you mm-hmm. know? If you don't know when I'm going to stop or if I'm going to stop, that's where the porch is, okay? So this is obviously going to go away, and we've learned something from it. But, you know, the, the scary thing about it is uh, something worse could happen. Yeah. And then you see how the world reacts to this, something a billionth of your size causing such havoc, you know? So, I mean, it shows you, like, uh, movies like Outbreak and Contagion. They're not that far off, no. Yeah. You know, the cards haven't even really dropped that much yet. And like, if they do even a little bit more, like how crazy is it really going to get? I'm surprised that there aren't people running through the streets, screaming, you know, out of, out of mental, some mental, I mean, people seem to be dealing with it mostly, mm-hmm. but there's still all this, there's still the craziness on, you know, what the fuck is going on with Facebook? I go in there. I don't want to see full frame faces yapping at me or, asses wiggling at me or people fighting that seems to be all there is on facebook it's supposed to be bringing friends together you know like i don't blame all these people for quitting facebook i'm not going to quit because every now and then there's some terrific thing on there 
I don't want to miss it, you know, but you got to wade through this garbage. What are some escapes for you right now? Traditional escapes. Like, I know you're a huge fan of the theater and also even just going to the movie theaters. What are your traditional day-to-days that aren't there anymore that you're pining for? Well, the trip this week to L.A. to do Monster Palooza, mm. uh, followed by the Magic Castle. Magic Castle is the nightclub, you know, yeah. you have to be a magician to be a member. Mm-hmm. I've been a member for like 17 years, but that's not going to open until June 15th. So I'm going to have to cancel those reservations. Mm-hmm. I was going to stay at the Magic Castle Hotel. We were going to stay at Venice Beach. So traveling to familiar places that we enjoy the hell out of, uh, I miss that. But uh, I'm reading. I'm reading a lot more. You know, and that's, you know, you're in, engaging. I guess that's been the case my whole life is engaging your mind into something rewarding that gives you pleasure, you know? Yeah. So my, my daily routine, I work out as soon as I work out, I wake up, you know, I've got a gym right here. Most people can't go to the gym because of the lockdown, but mine's right here. So there's no excuse. Wow. That's great. So I, you know, I said to myself, well, if this is going to be two months, well, I'm going to be a physical specimen when this is over because I'm working out a lot more, you know? Yeah. So I work out and then I, uh, I, I ride my bike. I, I just bought this Reese Muller uh, bike, and I just love riding it. Uh, we have lots of hills around here. It's a good workout. Yeah. Then I sculpt on my uh, Vincent Price bust I'm doing from the House of Wax. So cool. And um, I just yesterday I made a big vat of cabbage soup with potatoes and carrots and salad. So I mean, I'm enjoying the hell out of it. <laughs> yeah. Really, it sounds like you know I don't have to be anywhere. Yeah. I joined Cameo. I joined Cameo. I saw. And, uh, I saw. That, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah. So, you know, I'm really busy. I'm busy. You said physical specimen. Well, let's be real. You already are. Uh, I think that your body, like, I've, it's funny. We I posed a question to some of our uh, our listeners and readers. And one of the, I've saw multiple times people ask, uh, what's your workout regimen? Um, because you look better than most people do in their 20s. So, yeah. yeah. So when you say you want to be a physical specimen, what has changed from your regular workout routine at this point? Like, what do you do? What is, what's kind of your breakdown well, there? Maybe I'll do abs on Wednesday or I used to do arms on Saturday and uh, shoulders and calves on Friday. Now I'm doing abs every day, you know, a hundred sit-ups a day. I'm doing squats and arms twice a week. So I've I've increased how much stuff I'm doing because normally if you go to the gym, uh, okay, today I have to be, so I got to be done by, well, now I don't have to be done by, I can just spend as much time as I want. I put uh, the match game on. There's a two-hour marathon as a match game every day. I missed that in the 70s because I was in you know, Vietnam yeah. and then in the Army and then North Carolina. So I never saw the match game, but now I just, I'm addicted to it. So that comes on, and I'll, you know, while I'm working out, I'm answering the questions. So that's a blast. I look forward to it every day. Yeah. So 11 o'clock, I'm in the gym no matter what, you know. That's amazing. Um, you should be, if you want the regimen, it's one body part a day. So by the end of the week, you've worked out your whole body. Mm-hmm. And it has to be high intensity, which means you don't stand there and you count 10 bicep curls. You do it until you can't do it anymore, you know, until you've really worn out the muscle. And that's when you see results. So many people go to the gym and they wonder, why am I not seeing results? Well, you're not doing high intensity. Yeah. The point is to wear out the muscle. Anyway, that's it in a nutshell. Love it. Th- thank you. Thank- I'm absolutely going to apply that uh, uh, to my and own. The older you get, the higher it is. Well, how about for teaching, though? Because I know that you know that's certainly something that's in flux. And uh, although there is you know digital mediums to turn to, but yours is so hands-on and, and the practicality of it. Is that something that's a concern in quarantine right now? Like uh, you know, with your students. Well, the school 
has not closed down. We have to comply with the Board of Education and what they require when things like this happen. Not that it happens regularly, but uh, in this case, they are temporarily allowing us to do online. So the students, a lot of the students haven't left the town. They're working at home using their laptops and stuff to see the online stuff that the teachers have created. I mean, a long time ago, we started to create an online, but it would be so complicated and hard to transition to online from, you know, looking over your shoulder and teaching you every day. But temporarily, we can do it. And the students can go to the school and pick up materials, take them home. And the students who have gone home, the parents have insisted they come home, then we're drop shipping supplies to them so that they continue like they were there. I mean, the teachers, they're really in good hands with our teachers because yeah. of uh, you know, the videos they've been making and what they would be teaching if the students were there. So that has worked out. Oh, and that's great. We're going to get out of this lockdown you know, before the end of June as far as the school goes. I mean, it's going to be different. I mean, you might see a sculpting class with the students wearing surgical gloves and face masks. You know, yeah. I think a lot of places can reopen now if they simply follow the social distancing. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are tons of stores open now. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I go to supermarkets, I'm wearing gloves, I'm wearing a mask. So I, I, I don't know what they would do about airplane flights, although they're talking about not selling the middle seat anymore, and they're maybe doing every other row. So that could function again slowly and get back to normal eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, movie theaters, I don't know. I don't know how you would do a movie theater. I mean, you've got to maintain. Maybe you're sitting three seats from each other, you know. But, you know, a lot of movies that were going to be released are now streaming. You yeah, know? yeah. So it's it's changing a lot of things. But like I said, I think it's changing for the better. I'm going to continue social distancing yeah. for, the, for the rest of my life. Yeah. I think we always should have had that. I agree. We always should have had that, you know. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's my take on it. Well, in these times, what I've, uh, it's not really something I've noticed, but it's something that's certainly been a, an escape for me, but uh, horror, it's just so comforting. Uh, I, I've, I've talked to um, a few luminaries of the past month, and they all say pretty much the same thing, that there's, they've been watching like The Twilight Zone or like Night of the Living Dead, and there's an escapist factor to it, but also there's an embalming sort of feeling, and I wondered if that's something that you shared as well, um, and if you've been revisiting some old horror. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I've got, I have no idea how many movies I have. I've been collecting for a long time. But one of the interesting things, though, there's a famous photo that's circulating now around. It's a, a Trump rally or something, or it's a protest mm-hmm. against the lockdown. And there's a bunch of people outside of glass windows. You know? Yeah. And I did an interview with the Washington Post yesterday just about that photo. Tom, hey, does that remind you of Something you've done is Night of the Living Dead. I said, no, that's Dawn of the Dead. (laughs) Dawn of the Dead is when we had all the zombies outside of the window. I mean, they're not pressing their faces against the glass or leaving bloody footprints. And then somebody created that photo and they made a horror movie poster out of it. Dawn of the Brain Dead. Because there certainly has been a spread of ignorance, of stupidity because of this thing. That's part of it. I did want to get political with that. But, you know, here's these rallies where they're all getting together with ignoring not one person in front of that window is wearing a mask mm-hmm. or gloves. You know, I mean, I, who knows what's going to come out of that? It's like Mardi Gras in New Orleans. I think there was a huge rise. Uh, spring break. Yep. There was a huge rise yeah. in the virus among those idiots, you know. So 
that to me is dawn of the brain dead is happening. Yeah. Last year on the Creep Show set, you said something that really stuck with me about how dreams have such a huge influence on your creations. And um, I really loved the discussion about it too, and just how conceptually so many of your effects have come from your dreamscapes. And I didn't ask at the time, but uh, I wondered, do nightmares count? And if so, then what are you currently dreaming now (laughs) in these times? Well, I just dreamt last night that I was doing a Quentin Tarantino movie. And uh, they cut the fencing scene between me and Christopher Lee. And I was really upset about that. So I went to Quentin and uh, I forget what he said now, but he said, he gave me a very logical reason why the scene had to be cut. So I go back to Christopher Lee, who's sitting there. We were rehearsing, we were hanging out, you know, and said, you know, they cut the fencing scene. And, um, and I think, I think the reason I had that dream is because a long time ago when I met Christopher Lee for the first time, it was at a Fangoria convention, and uh, we heard he was arriving through the kitchen. So me and five other guys went to the kitchen. And the door opened, and snow wafted in, and he walked in, took, took up the whole doorway with his overcoat over his shoulders, and it was fucking Dracula walked in, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. um, so in chatting with him, I overheard somebody interviewing him and saying, well, you're, you're most prominently known for your horror movies, and he stopped him right then and there with his finger in the air and said, no, that is not true. So I chimed in. I heard him say that as an actor, he has had the most fight scenes, fencing scenes. And I wondered about that. Then he started rattling them off with Errol Flynn and the Master of Ballantrae, Rochefort and the Few Musketeers. And just throughout history, he's had so many fights. And he showed me his little finger which was bent at like a 45-degree angle halfway up. He said, that's a little gift from Errol Flynn, an emotion drinking. He says, by noon, Errol Flynn was sloshed in the, in the fight scene, you know, where he was supposed to go to his shoulder. He went to his leg and hit his finger and broke it, you know? Oh, God. So, that, you know, so that stuck with me, the fact that he was the fencer, and I'm a fencer, I'm a tournament fencer. So I think that's where, that's where that dream came from. You know, last night, just thinking about him, and I had just watched the uncut version of the horror of Dracula, mm. which has a little bit more of the seduction of uh, Mina in the bedroom, and then a little bit more of uh, his disintegration at the end. They did an elaborate makeup on him with his real hand on his face before they cut to the dummy with the fake hand. So that was fresh in my mind. The dreams have had a big influence. If you've seen my uh, What Dream episode in a movie called Theater Bazaar, did you ever see that? No, no, no. There's five short movies. Richard Stanley did one. I did one. It's called Theater Bazaar. Uh, Udo Kier is oh, kind of the host, and he's disintegrating every time between the films. Anyway, <laughs> there's a scene in there where my, my, it's my wife that plays it, okay? She's just about nude, luring this guy through a bedroom, and uh, they get to a corner, and he looks in the mirror like, wow, she's really hot, and I can't believe I'm going to... And uh, he, he pinned down from her face, past her breasts. And when you get down to her crotch, there are tentacles and insect tentacles coming out of her pussy, okay? Now, that's a dream that I had when I was nine years old <laughs> about a girl in the neighborhood, okay? And I used it in that episode. And it's from life, and it's totally unexpected and totally creeps people out. Girls love it. Men cringe in pain mm-hmm. 
and she pulls them into those tentacles, like lobster claws, you know. Anyway, it's worth watching Wet Dreams in Theater Bazaar just to see that, okay? Yeah, no, I love it. And that Uh, came from a dream. Do you tend to just keep a dream journal? No, uh -uh, no. So it just all stays in the... My dreams are like memories. I mean, you play memories in your head just like you put a record on and play a record or put a tape in, you know. Here's Here's my... Dreams are very important to me. It's a phenomenon that we take for granted. Not me. I don't take it for granted. Mm-hmm. This is a phenomenal experience. Yeah. You are lying in your bed. You're seeing things without using your eyes. You're hearing sounds that don't exist. You're unconscious, yet your thoughts are giving life to something just as solid as the room you're standing in or the chair you're sitting in, the table that might be in front of you. And that's very godlike. Mm-hmm. You know, if God is an intelligent force that created everything, okay, you're doing that. When you dream, you're not being plunked into a scenario. No matter how complicated the sets are or whatever you're in, you're creating that. You created every bit of that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have very complicated scenes that you're in. This is godlike. Yeah. You are giving life, creating physical stuff that doesn't exist, but it is at that moment existing for you, except it gets absurd. You know, you search all night for your car, and when you find it, it's the size of a shoebox, and you can't get in it. Dreams are very powerful. The point is, I believe in reincarnation. So you know how sometimes you wake up and you forget the dream instantly. I think you're programmed to do that. Just like in life, when you die and you're reincarnated, mm-hmm. you're programmed to forget the previous life. Yeah. See, if you've read my book, the first paragraph in my new book talks about, I was born when I was very young. I know that's a joke, and it sounds stupid, but because my first experience, my first memory was, I had just come from someplace, and I was super intelligent, and I'm wondering, what am I doing in this place? And suddenly my dad chased me down to the basement because I had shit my pants and I became the kid I was supposed to be. <laughs> Before that, I had just come from, to me, it's like I just came from another life. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you program to forget the previous life. So dreams are very significant and a powerful phenomenon to me. Yeah. Have you done any like hypnotherapy to try to chase those pasts? Or um... I've read a few books on lucid dreams. Yeah. And lucid dreaming is knowing that you're dreaming because then you have unlimited power. If you're in the middle of a dream and you suddenly realize you're dreaming, well, I'm going to take five steps and fly. Mm-hmm. I'm going to rob that bank. I can do whatever the hell I want because I know there's no consequences. And what the books on lucid dreaming teach you is to give yourself signals. For example, when a dream does become ludicrous, well, I'm dreaming. And if you're lucky enough, you can stay in the dream because sometimes that makes you wake up and snap out of it, you know. But if I'm searching for my car keys for the whole dream, aha, I know I'm dreaming now. Yeah. Or if I'm pissing in a toilet, I want to make sure I don't piss my bed, which is entirely possible. Yeah. So, hey, I'm dreaming. There are signals that you can use to initiate this dream. Yeah. And I really love that aspect of it. Oh, know? totally. You know, you're in control. Yeah. The biggest fear for me, actually, and especially when it comes to film, is that idea of uh, the lack of control in the sense of like your own settings, your own reality, and in wondering the, the distortion of reality, which, you know, like someone like David Lynch is really good at doing that. And I think in reality, 
what scares me is ultimately when I am scared away from the dream and that I'm like almost too scared to actually fall asleep to go back into that dream, <laughs> which, you know, occurs occasionally in life. Well, it has to do with this lockdown. Like yeah. before, if you were waking up from a bad dream, you suddenly were like, oh, thank God I'm in reality. Mm-hmm. But now reality is this lockdown, yeah. you know, so it's almost the same thing. You're waking out of a bad dream. Uh, I was going to say into a bad dream, but for me, it's not a bad dream. I'm enjoying the hell out of this. I mean, there's horrible things happening. People are dying. Yeah. People are getting sick. I'm 73. I'm a prime candidate for it, you know, but uh, I just am enjoying the solitude. And the, I mean, my wife is just an exceptional person. I'm enjoying the hell out of being with her. Yeah. We've always had a very close relationship and that's, enhanced by this you know i don't think i could do it if she wasn't here mm-hmm. but um i think i went off on a tangent oh, no it's totally fine question i mean that was one of the real charming aspects of the documentary was just seeing the home life and just knowing how much just how much love and heart is is there and, and, and i imagine that's just been such a great part of the the quarantine and it just literally looks like you've built your own dream house in a way and i and i wondered when you said that you collect masks are you still collecting masks now? Is that is that something that you're also sorting through and kind of rearranging and and, and playing yeah, with that absolutely. Point? Yeah, absolutely. You can't help but do that. Well, this would look better up here next to this guy. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah. You know, something that maybe you didn't have time for before. Now you have all the time to do that. You know, uh, I built another floor under my house. That's where the theater is now. And uh, that's full of props. And every room here, I'm in my living room counts and I'm looking at a wall full of swords in front of me, on the left wall are Blythe casts of Vincent Price, young and old, James oh, Cagney, so cool. David Bowie. I'm, I've got the big, uh, the icon from Bram Stoker's Dracula. I've got the thrones from Night Riders are sitting here. Oh, There's awesome. a suit of armor in the corner. I surround myself with this stuff, and it, it really is, uh, you know, you've heard the old expression, the man's home is his castle. Mm-hmm. Well, mine looks like one inside, you know, even though it's a little kinky row house on the street, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, my, it's my little secret, you know. I think that's a big part of the kind of horror culture also is the lifestyle aspect of it. Oh, How- another thing I'm seeing, I'm seeing so many people posting photos of the collections. Yep. So I'm aware now that there's so many people doing exactly that, you know, decorating. So everywhere they look, there's something, a horror movie or a monster or some fantasy thing. You surround yourself with that and you live and that's, you're, you're living in it, you know? Yeah. All right. So you guys know that I've been trying to lose weight lately. You know, I've been yeah. kind of uh, on the bigger side for most of my life, but I've, I've been able to drop a lot of weight because I've been trying to eat healthier. You look good. Thank you. Thank you. you the problem good. is, is Wonderful. I can't cook at all. Like I'm basically can just make I've like tasted your food. I don't know if you guys ever heard of factor meals before. Yeah. No. Okay. So factor meals, it's like these easy, ready to eat meals that they'll send to your house. I'm oh, sure you've nice. heard of services that do. Yes, this type yes, of yes, yes, yes. Where sure. they send food, and it's this. What I actually really liked about factor is it's like it has to be kind of idiot proof for me because I can't cook or do anything. But it's like ready in two minutes. It literally comes everything together you don't have to like make anything wrap? it's it's all put together in its own thing two minutes it's not frozen which actually makes it awesome oh nice you know the frozen food yeah. it comes like in a box it's like chilled like yeah. with chill the cooling stuff but uh you got all kinds so i did the keto one but they also have like calorie smart protein plus they've even got like so my wife ended up really liking these these like energy shots okay that they put they put in the box that we ordered where she it's literally like just a little shot of different kinds of energy shots that were awesome that sounds amazing was, i always was like i'd see these commercials or i'd hear commercials for stuff but i thought factor meal seemed like something that was really threading that needle and would have been really really perfect for me but dude they had like 
pancakes, smoothies. Who doesn't love pancakes? Dinners and stuff like that. Yeah. So they have breakfast. They got like midday snacks. And I, so I thought it was like perfect. Get it in, get it done, yeah. boom. If you're just looking for yeah. like fast premium options and you don't have to really cook or be able to do anything. Sure. Factor is awesome for that kind of stuff. And I thought the, and the quality of the meals, restaurant quality meals that I just could like heat and eat, dude. So it's not like your, you know, your frozen stuff you get at the grocery store. So if you guys want to try factor meals, I'd say go for it because it's really helped me out. And I I was actually really surprised. All you guys have to do is head to factormeals.com slash badmovies50 and use code badmovies50. That's five zero to get 50% off. That's code badmovies50 at factormeals.com slash badmovies50 to get 50% off, guys. Give it a try. That's half. I know. Uh, do you think that tangibility or that feeling of that palpable nature of uh, the fandom or that the culture of the horror is what got you into um, what you're doing today. Like there was a point where you just said, no, fuck this. I got to, cre- I want to create this stuff. <laughs> like did it start there? And that, that sort of lifestyle fascination of just surrounding yourself with this or was it something else? No, I think, I think the lifestyle came out of something else. I mean, I, uh, when I was a kid, it was uh, thrilling to be scared in a movie. I mean, the creature from the black lagoon right now i saw that mm-hmm. in 1954 i was eight years old in the theater but i would you know being scared cover my face but i would have to peer through my fingers to see like teenage frankenstein boy that really fucked me up <laughs> you know that scared the hell, out of the hell out of me as a kid so it was being scared and then making me want to scare people okay mm-hmm. So I was doing that at an early age, scaring my sister or scaring my mother. It was thrilling to scare somebody because it was so thrilling to be scared. And then the lifestyle came out of that, collecting masks, looking at the back of famous monsters at the Captain Company. And I remember ordering my first mask and looking at for the mailman every single day. And I only had enough money for one of the monster hands, but they mistakenly sent me two. So that was amazing. That was <laughs> so now, I think I have so many masks because as a kid I couldn't afford them. You know? Yeah. So now I'm making up for it, you know, with, with having thousands of masks, you know. Yeah. So that lifestyle, surrounding myself with all that stuff. I mean, the swords on the wall are because I'm a big swashbuckler fan. Errol Flynn, Tyrone Power, Basil Rathbone, Mark of Zorro, Black Pirate. I'm surrounded by stuff that were influences to me, you know, when I was a kid growing up. And obviously, that's important. I mean, the, the whole reason I do any of this is seeing the movie Man of a Thousand Faces. Mm-hmm. So why wasn't that just an, another movie that I saw? And then life goes on. Why did that movie have such a huge effect on changing my whole direction, my whole life? If I were going to Monster Palooza next week, I was scheduled to sit with Ron Chaney oh, uh, and do a Q&A with Ron Chaney. And I was prepared to tell him I think I'm your dad. I think I am. I was launching yeah. in life. Why else would that movie have such a profound effect on me? Yeah. And, you know, believing in that kind of stuff, you know, that struck a nerve. So anyway, I was trying to tell him that, one, to make the Q&A more interesting, two, to get a rise out of him, <laughs> and three, you know, jokingly, in front of everybody, say something like that, you know. So yeah. anyway, I'll do it when it finally does happen. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it'd be a great discussion. I mean, and, and there's truth in, the, in that. I mean, I, I I always think about like, why am I watching this movie for the 700th time? Like, uh, what is it that connects yeah. with me about this? Like, do I is it just the neighborhood that I like in this movie? Is there a house that I think is something about my own childhood? I, I don't know. It's it's very strange, but it's something I often oh, think about changes, all the time. It changes every time you see it. Yeah. Like, I'll, I can't wait to watch a movie that I really loved 
when I was a kid, and boy, is it terrible. You know, the magic sword. God, that was, you know, and I watched it recently, and it's so chintzy, and okay, but it changed. Back then, I loved it. Now, because I think I'm brighter, and I've seen more and experienced more effects-wise, that this is a chintzy way that they did it. But that's all they had back then, okay? So sometimes it's the mood of a picture. That's why I can't wait to watch it again. Horror of Dracula. There's a mood in that. Yeah. But it's just elegant and gorgeous and... You know, listen, I loved Cats. Cats is fantastic. Cats is gorgeous to watch, <laughs> you know, and I've seen it after all this criticism, you know. But to me, it's the Broadway musical done so extraordinarily gorgeous and beautiful. The intent is there. I can't wait to see Steven Spielberg's West Side Story yeah. that he just finished, you know. Just a fan of musicals. Listen, I loved Van Helsing even though everybody hated that movie, to me, the mood is, it is a dream. Like, if you had a nightmare or an elaborate dream about horror movies, that's what Van Helsing is. All of it is completely unreal and and hokey and fake, a lot of it, but it's a dream. To me, it's like if you had a dream about an elaborate horror movie, that's what Van Helsing is. So I loved it, you know? For me, it's like it plays into the aesthetic. On, like, social media, I'll share stuff, and I'll be like, aesthetic porn, because it's just, it's literally stuff that just, gets me like it, get, it like uh, like the colors for halloween for for instance are just things that like it could be the distillation of colors that come down to it that just spark something in my head that make me feel better about something and 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 it's it is a, there's a psychological well, a good director knows that i mean yeah. a good director does think i think of the color palette Sidney limit when he did 12 angry men most of the first half of that movie is shot above eye level mm-hmm. like you're being subjective okay Something that gets real serious, you're on eye level and you're in a, you're in one room with twelve people and it's very claustrophobic. And the end, when they come up with the verdict, it's wide angle shots. And it's the freedom that he wanted you to experience that the descendant would have, you know. So that's nobody teaches that stuff in film school. It's something that a person came up with. Yeah. Spielberg, when he did E. T. almost watch that movie again, almost every angle is from the height you are yeah. when you're 12 years old. Yeah. You're looking at the guy's keys on his waistband. It's all designed to make you feel like what you became one of the kids in that movie. Yeah. That's brilliant. That's extraordinarily brilliant. In Close Encounters, when the kid, the little kid is looking out the window, and he's marveling, he, uh, he, the wonderment in his face. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be him looking at the spaceship. But what Spielberg did is he had a bunch of people put on furry costumes and dance around outside of the window <laughs> to get that reaction from that kid. Yeah. That is astoundingly brilliant, okay? Yeah. If you're interested in directing or the methods that directors use. I mean, there's so many examples of uh, in cold blood. When Robert Blake is at the window, he's got handcuffs or a straitjacket. He's lamenting about his life. They had rain trickle on the windows mm-hmm. and the lighting pushing those on his face made him look like the tears were flowing down his face. That's yeah. astoundingly brilliant. Oh, you know? totally. You have to learn from that sort of thing. Do you apply that sort of psychology and logic into most of your effects? Like is point of view just absolutely paramount for every one of your effects? For every one of them? Uh, I don't know for everyone. Not every one of them. Most of the time you're trying to create a magic trick, mm-hmm. 
that's, I think of the effects is, that's why my book is called Grand Illusions. I think of these things as magic tricks, you know, fooling you into believing that what you're seeing is really happening, which is what a magician does, you know. He's holding his hand up in the air, making you look at his hand, and he's pulling flowers out of his butt. He misdirected you. Plus, he has mechanical devices you're not aware of. That's uh, what movies, that's what we do in movies, we're misdirecting you, and the makeup effects are mechanical devices sometimes. Uh, you know, Jason's machete in the head, Friday the 13th, part four ending. That's a mechanical device yeah. that we put together to make you believe that Jason was sliding down a machete. So there's a magic trick, and do I incorporate, I do incorporate what you're asking me in some of the stuff, almost on sometimes a subliminal level, like in my Night of the Living Dead, the name on the house that Barbara goes to is M. Celeste, and only one reviewer got the point. It's the wreck of the Mary Celeste, the ship that they went on, and nobody was there, yet there were cigars in the ashtray, and food was cooking. But where the fuck are all the people? Uh, that's that's yeah. what the Night of the Living Dead house was. Love know, it. So that was a subliminal thing you know, for me. And then I've done movies where I've been what was a fight director. You know, I was I staged all the fights in uh, Leatherstocking Kells for PBS. You know, when tomahawks had to hit swinging water gourds or make arrows uh, hit next to somebody right next to their head. You know, with reverse photography. You know, uh, the fights. There's a great book by William Hobbs about fight directing. You know, mm-hmm. he he was a fight director for the Vikings and you know uh, uh, Three Musketeers. Uh, a fight scene, if the fight scene is good, it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. The fight tells a story. You know, in the Marco Zorro, they're talking throughout the whole fight, telling a story until, you know, Tyrone Power kills Basara. This is a beautiful piece of, you know, uh, one of the greatest fights in movie history, you know. Princess Bride, same thing. Anyway, oh, totally. No, no, so, no, no. That, yes. To answer your question, yes, that is an underlying. I mean, Romero did it all the time. Mm-hmm. In his movies, there was always a subtext about what was going on totally. in life outside of the studio door. There's a great documentary called American Nightmare, mm-hmm. and all it talks about is what was going on in the country and in our lives when those movies were made. And the good, the best of those movies incorporate and have a comment to make about what was going on outside, you know? It was a subtext. So I guess I learned that from George. So I was doing it before George, but he certainly reinforced it that there has to be some neat underlying subtext going on yeah. to the stuff that you do as an artist. I'm interested to see what the subtexts are, are, are going to be in films going forward based on stuff that was inspired with what's happening now, um, especially with like themes of like seclusion and isolation and even just the era of social distancing as we're discussing, like what is that going to spawn, you think? I mean, it's just, it's, it's kind of an interesting new chapter Again, it's a very depressing chapter, but it's also intriguing to see what's going to happen in, in creativity. I'm sure somebody's already writing it somewhere. <laughs> yeah. But think about that. I was just noticing that this isolation, this lockdown has been going on so long that you're seeing commercials on TV for products totally referring to the lockdown. Yeah. Hey, why are you not doing anything at home? Why don't you blah, blah? You know, I mean, they've had enough time to produce and create commercials. <laughs> rampant commercials all day yeah. about the lockdown. That is, it definitely allows you to kind of shift your perspective. Because I remember even just the first week seeing commercials for things that just got canceled. You know, like seeing a Quiet Place 2 trailer, you know, even a week after it had been canceled and being right. like, oh, that's funny. 
Um, but you're right. Yeah, there is. It is. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, Stephen King's The Stand a little bit, just like seeing these commercials for things that have to deal detail this new lifestyle. And it's like a new dystopia in a way. But, you know, you mentioned Friday the 13th. And I'd be remiss if I didn't ask with the franchise being so uh, popular again, especially with all the entries being on Shutter. You designed a Jason for the Friday 13th game not too long ago. And I wondered <laughs> where the franchise is currently at, especially with the courts and all that other stuff. Let's say that there was a new entry that came out. Where would you personally want to see this franchise go? You know, I stopped watching them after part five. Yeah. Part five was the fucking ashtray was Jason. His spirit kept invading shit. And that was, <laughs> that was really stupid. And then they just, then they just kept getting dumber and dumber and dumber. I remember I was seeing some movie in a multiplex and Jason X was playing and I, I went into it. After I saw my movie, I, I usually do. I walk into other theaters and, you know, Jason goes into a closet and he comes out like RoboCop. Yeah. I said, God, this is, it's still so stupid. Even the last movie was incredibly fucking stupid. A kid drops his gun in the swamp or some woods and he actually says while he's looking for the gun, where are you, gun? says that in the fucking movie. Yeah. I mean, two teenagers are making love and the guy says, your tits are stupendous. Yeah. And I'm like, who's writing? I, and I, I never talk in movies and I hate people that do talk in movies. But me and my friends for the rest of the movie were, where are you, gun? Your tits are stupendous. <laughs> we kept yelling at the screen. Then they put Jason into a tree shredder and the mask flies off, and they don't show Derek Mears in, and it was a fabulous makeup for Jason. Yeah. Then they carry him 150 yards to throw him in the lake. And as soon as they threw him in the lake, you knew, just look at your watch, yeah. how long will it be before he pops back up? They were trying to capitalize on the ending of the first movie, mm-hmm. with Jason coming out of the lake, which was my idea that was not in the script. It was my idea, because I had just seen Carrie. Yeah. And then Carrie, you know, she's walking toward the, the graveyard, and uh, the music is playing like the credits are going to roll any second. So to you, the movie is over. And then that fucking hand comes out of the grave and scares the shit out of you. Yeah. So I said, we need to have Jason. We need to have another. And we need to have an ending like that, where Jason comes out of the water and grabs Adrian. Well, he, but he's dead. Well, it doesn't matter. Make it a dream, because people buy anything if you make it a dream the whole fucking last season of dallas he comes out of the shower we made it a dream sequence so that movie was incredibly stupid that last friday the 13th listen when before they did part eight and this is maybe a partial answer to your question where would i go with it before part eight you know i called sean cunningham and i said uh you know frankenstein the wolfman dracula they were fading in popularity and some brilliant person teamed them with Abbott and Costello and made Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. It catapulted the careers of Abbott and Costello, but it killed Frankenstein the Wolfman, you know, forever. Yeah. Okay. Why don't we do a Friday the 13th movie where it's a rapper with a bunch of kids, you know, and make it a comedy. Uh-huh. Make it, you know, Abbott and Costello meet Jason, you know, but it's, but it's a rap group, something, you know. Oh, well, I'm not involved in the franchise anymore. And then he hired a kid out of film school to direct part eight, yeah. you know, because I wanted to direct part eight. So they just keep getting dumber and dumber. And the last one was supposed to be a reimagined 
retelling, and it was the dumbest one of them all. Yeah, you know, so I have no hope for it. But people <laughs> keep going. They do. You know, yeah. uh, we're up to part twelve. I firmly believe that there will be a Friday the Thirteenth, part thirteen. They were going to do it, but they they canceled it because of some previous movie they did failed miserably. I forget the name of it now. You know. Yeah. But like I said, I stopped watching them after part five. And, you know, I keep hearing part four is the best one. And I think it is, the final chapter. That's why it's called, that's why it's called the final chapter. They believed it was going to be the last one because the series was winning. But that movie made so much money. You know, that's why we're going to see part 13. Yeah, yeah. Did you have more fun on final chapter than the, the first one? Or did the first one feel a little more freewheeling? Was that more fun for you? Like kind of shooting the dark a little bit? The first one was a whole different experience. We didn't know what the hell this movie was going to do or who the hell Kevin Bacon was. Or, you know, it was just fun. You know, it was my movie right after Dawn of the Dead. And that's, that's why I say my whole career is I owe it to George Romero because if there wasn't a Dawn of the Dead, for me, there wouldn't have been a Friday the 13th. I got hired because of that movie, Dawn of the Dead. So creating it was great fun, hanging out with the teenagers. You know, me and my assistant, we didn't stay at the hotel with the cast and crew. We stayed at the camp in one of those little huts, you know. I love it. Uh, and that was a blast. They had, we had boats. We had a motorcycle. You know, part four was a whole different experience. I replaced Greg Cannon on that movie. They fired Greg Cannon. He went off to do an Ozzy Osbourne album cover. And uh, the director decided, and Joe Zita, who I've worked with before, yeah. brought me on. And the whole crew was already working on the movie. And it was Alec Gillis. It was Kevin Yeager. It was, you know, uh, Everett Burrell and John Voltz, all who formed their own companies. These, this was a crack crew that I went in and took over, you know? Yeah. And there was a little, a little uh, conflict at the beginning. But then our personalities came out, and we were laughing our asses off, and we all got along so great. It became so much fun. I, you know, this was like, you know, Friday the 13th was me. Yeah. And... A friend of mine from college, Paso. Friday Part 4 was a crack crew, you know, Frank Mancuso of, uh, direct, yeah. you know, producing. It was a huge deal, you know. And the first Friday the 13th movie I did for like 15 grand. All I wanted was a big screen TV yeah. out of that. <laughs> and I got it. But, you know, I had to pay materials. I had to pay my assistant, you know. I had to, you know. But all I wanted was 15 grand. So then the movie comes out. And they made $72 million. And the reviews of the movies said, the star of this film is Tom Savini's effects. Yeah. So I read that. And I'm like, oh, great. That's the star of the film. I made 15 grand. They made 72 million, you know. Uh, so that was a little irksome. Yeah. So on part four, I asked, I asked for... I asked for an incredible amount of money, <laughs> and they gave it to me. Okay, so I made up for it, you know, on part four. Yeah. So it was a whole different experience. Was it more fun? Um, maybe because of who I was working with, Alec Gillis, and all those crack makeup artists yeah. who became legends after that movie. You know, yeah. I was working with them, so that was an incredible experience. And Tommy Jarvis being kind of like you. I mean, it's literally just seems like it was an homage to you. Like oh, in part four. In part four, Corey Feldman is a kid named Tom <laughs> who was into effects. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. How obvious. It's so good. You get. My last question, and this is uh, this has been such a great time. I, I love talking to you, and I 
Well, I, I'm glad you're on Cameo because I feel like uh, you have a, a you have a definite career in a ASMR videos because I would listen to you for fucking hours. Looking back on your entire career, what would you say is the most enduring effect that you've given cinema? I don't know where you would get that except for reading about the making of some of these films. I think perhaps if you've watched Smoke and Mirrors, I mean, I was a poor kid shining shoes to buy a mask, you know? That maybe the enduring effect is that it can happen to you no matter who you are, you know? It's the it's the attitude, it's the desire, it's the wish, it's the dream that you want to make come true. But, I mean, but other people might look at it and say, ah, oh, well, he's the king of gore, he's the sultan of splatter, he gave us the greatest gore effects. But to me, it was like trying to get away from that and doing monsters and makeups and saying, God, Creepshow came along where I could do all of that. In fact, they, they, they were calling me the king of gore at my school. Mm-hmm. And I asked them, don't call me that anymore. How about the maestro of makeup? You know? Yeah, I just don't, didn't want that moniker, although it is my moniker. So, I mean, that's a question that can only be answered 40 years from now when you Google Tom Savini, you know, see what comes up. It's true. That's true. Isn't he something? I could listen to him just talk for hours, hours and hours and hours. And if you're like me and wanting to spend more time with him, be sure to tune into The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs this Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Shudder. We can't tell you what movie they're watching, again, like we said before, but I will say it's a personal favorite of mine. You could also check out his great documentary, Smoke and Mirrors, The Story of Tom Savini, which is available right now on Shudder. As for us, we'll be back on May 13th with our coverage of Friday the 13th Part 3. And no, we're not going to require you to wear 3D glasses. Just bring yourself. (laughs) In the meantime, be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio. And definitely follow us on our socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. In fact, you should definitely follow us on Instagram because we host a weekly Halloweenies happy hour every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Other than that, keep on the lookout. After all, Jason's watching. Kill, kill, kill. Bye, bye. Oh